You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'll take a glass together and we will lift it to the good life. This is Equity One, Broadway's happy hour. Pour yourself a drink and join us as we chat about life, theater, and and everything in between. I'm Elliot Maddox. And I'm Caleb Dickey. Join us for your Equity One. Hi, Caleb. Hey, Elliot. Cheers. A nice, refreshing seltzer. Like, together, we are in sync. Are you on your period? We could do this in no. our sleep. No, we could. Oh my god. Period. Hot topics. Okay, so I know you're not the biggest Drag Race fan, but you keep up. But I am following. So do you follow Manila Luzon on Instagram? I do not. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's going well. Everyone listening, go go to your Instagram and look up Manila Luzon. Manila, like the place, and then L U Z O N. So the runway theme last week was swerves and curves or padded for filth because drag queens pad their bodies to have like a more hourglass feminine shape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. On Manila's Instagram is a dress that <gasps> she was going to wear. But I RuPaul see. said it was in bad taste. Now, I don't agree with RuPaul. I think it's brilliant. It's Manila in, like, a maxi pad dress. Yeah, with a, some period blood on her. Yeah, but it's very elegant. It is. And I also love this red... Um, the red streak. The red streak she always hair. does a streak in her hair. Well, I'm, what do you think about this? I think it's a shame that she that production told her not to wear that on Yeah, her. I think it's a little bit censorship. Yeah. I was also reading a book about why is blood any different if it's from a woman or if it's from like fighting or anything like why is right. it so much more disgusting when I, it's actually in a book that i read in my book club the book is called shrill and it's by lindy west who's a feminist um blogger writer mm-hmm. and she talks a little bit about like how the devil's standard on women for multiple things but uh period blood being one of them how like is like why can't it be a joke or like why yeah. does like women bleeding every month when it's like they can't help it like that's that's just them like why is it so different from right fighting or action films well exactly and my kind of argument is like you know drag race is not like family entertainment necessarily like there's always like zooming in on the 
pit crew members in their underwear and like it's it's just constant like dick joke after yeah you know innuendo yeah. and it's just like I don't know I think like it's a shame that that wasn't on TV because mm-hmm. it's really I think it's really like kind of cool and controversial and fun and that's drag yeah. What, and then I did like her, like, her connection to, like, the French poodle and whatever. They even said that. I wonder yeah. if they said that in editing to make it uh-huh. seem like it was, like, right. this was a good choice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting. Anyway, you said period, and I, I just... It's yeah. a hot topic. It's on your end. Yeah, it's Another hot topic is the hashtag I'm not a lab rat. I know. So for those of you who don't know, the um, our union, Actors' Equity... Um, has just called for a strike yeah. on on developmental work. So that's things, it's labs, workshops, stage readings. It's um, a lot of things that happen in the industry. It's a lot because the our the wage for labs for development work hasn't gone up in twelve years, and the Broadway League did not um, wasn't willing to negotiate with the union. Um, and wouldn't li- really listen and take what they wanted seriously. So now they're asking members to strike. I mean, it's very... And they're at the... Well, even the day... Even right before they said the strike, mm-hmm. they were at, like, ECC's passing mm-hmm. out buttons and getting people to sign up. Like, it's a thing happening here in New York for sure. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's. I mean, it's very bold mm-hmm. to call for a strike. Especially in this season of, like, there's, I mean, they're always doing de- developmental labs, but, mm-hmm. like, especially now in the spring. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they respond. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I know, I know a lot of members feel differently about it. Um, and it's really, I think it's really complex, so I understand when people have, um... Have Confusion, almost, on, like, what they're wanting Sure. The union is wanting, or... Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a hot, hot button topic. Um, if you have any thoughts about it, please write to us. Yeah. Caleb, how's your week been? My week's been kind of funny. Um, I was telling you earlier, my phone decided to crash and die and go to purgatory. Oh, no. So I have a new, um, loner phone, and it's like a... Go phone? A go phone. (laughs) And, uh... It's a lot smaller than my other phone, mm-hmm. so I can only fit so much on it. So I'm kind of figuring, like, um, I don't need those apps in my life, actually. Like, yeah, um, I'm not going to have this Facebook app. Okay. I'm going to get rid of that. But I still have Messenger so people can, like, reach to me. Right. You know, like, still stay a little bit connected. Mm-hmm. Um, get rid of some of those, like, picture editing ones that I wasn't using. And yeah. um, some games I don't need anymore, like... Maybe I can, like, read a book instead of doing my, like, two dots, you yeah, know? They're fun. They I, are, I'm, they're I'm, fun. like, really getting into, like, a like, subway game moment. What's your subway game? A right Disney now? Emoji Blitz. Always. Oh, the Chris Rice and Clay Thompson? Or is really, that the one really, really fun. Really, really fun. Yeah. I don't know. I think we play that, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's, I've been playing it a lot lately. Right. Any yeah. other highlights for your week? Um, yes. Well, I got to see Head Over Heels right before it closed. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So uh, Michael and I went to go see Head Over Heels, and I loved it. Loved it. I thought it was the most creative thing I've seen in 2000. I saw it in 2018, and mm-hmm. it was at the top of my show list of things mm-hmm. that I loved. I loved it. I thought it was so fun, 
I thought like the pr- the whole premise and the weaving of the music was really smart. Mm-hmm. Well done. The cast was amazing. Yes, everyone was singing their faces off. Mm-hmm. Michael is fully obsessed. Like he's listening to it constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I love the costume design. They're like so intricate, uh-huh. beautiful. Also, I love um, the gender swaps on the ensemble. Like, mm-hmm. some of the men had skirts while pants, and then, like, a skirt pant. And it was mm-hmm. also for the females. Some of them were in skirts and also in pants. I just loved it. It was all across the board, neutral, equal. Yeah, it was very cool. I loved it. And it was really fun. The audience was wild the night yeah. I was there. And, you know, it was closing weekend, so I think everyone was excited to see it. But it was really, really great, I will say. Mm-hmm. <sighs> went went to the merch stand at intermission and everything was sold out everything completely they had Whoa. two styles of shirts in extra larges and up only would you want to wear it like a shirt dress to bed that's what i would do as a kid well i got a little inside scoop from the second merch stand that was in the corner being like the merch is in the lobby uh-huh and I said, because I was like going at the mannequins being like, is that one claimed? Is that one claimed? And uh-huh. everyone had claimed them in the, in the cast and crew. Ugh, annoying. And, um, and so she was like, you know, we don't have them, but you can still order them through the website. Oh. So I ordered myself a shirt through the website. Don't be, don't worry. I got my merch. Well, I, I want to hear it when it arrives in one of our merch madnesses. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking of. Sounds like a perfect time. Segway. Segway. This is Merch Madness. Okay. Mm -hmm. This week's Merch Madness is all about our special guest for the week. Um, We are going to be talking to Chase Brock, uh, choreographer extraordinaire. I know. One of my favorite people that I've actually connected with this last year and yeah he's amazing he and he was so much fun to talk to i can't wait for you guys to hear that interview um but we went to see his show the girl with the alkaline eyes Mm -hmm. at theater row it's running this This weekend it closes this weekend yeah. yeah january 13th and you'll hear all about um tickets and where to find information on that but we got um i got a shirt from his dance company they were selling merch there, and you know I just could not resist. And they love as much as much as you love merch, I believe. I know. They have all the kinds of merch. They, they had, like, a normal Chase Brock merch. They had very they had specific Girl with Alkaline Eyes merch. Yeah. Um, but I decided to get the Chase Brock Experience tea. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a Heather Gray. Yes. Like, blue-tint Heather Gray. Uh-huh, it's uh-huh, like, classic. I'm a sucker. Yeah. I love this color. Um, and then in a really pretty orange, it has the Chase Brock experience on the front of the shirt. Really good screen printing. It's, like, thick, so I know it's going to be durable. Stay out through mm-hmm. a wash. Yeah. Um, it's a classic, classic fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cute, really simple. And I always love to, like, be able to support those companies in, in whatever way we can. Totally. It's more so that than, like, buying merch at a Broadway show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I feel like I'm actually helping support them. No. Um, and then, because Chase Brock is the choreographer of the sensation mega hit... That started rehearsals today. Started rehearsals today of Be More Chill coming to Broadway this spring. 
with friend of the podcast, George Salazar. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> I'm also going to be reviewing my um, shirt from Be More Chill. So this is the shirt they sell that is literally a carbon copy of one of George's costumes. So clever. As Michael Mel. And we saw so many people cosplaying yeah. this when we saw the show. Um, when we were lucky enough to see it. I don't even know if we recorded about that, but like... I think won the lottery. Off, yeah, I won the lot. Yeah. If this lottery was the hardest lottery to win because there was maybe only a few tickets per show. Yeah. And we won two of them. So exciting. And I think we talked about that in the interview yeah. too. But... So this is like a black long sleeve shirt, and we love a long sleeve shirt. We love different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so this says "creeps" on it with the C and the S on the sleeves, and um, it's lime green. I don't know if it's like a reference to I something. Don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, we'll have to ask. Yeah, yeah. Any be more chill fans out there, let us know if this is like a specific reference. But it's super cute. It's very authentic. And um, I like to wear this with a pair of sweatpants I have that have lime green lining. Oh. So it's like I pick up the accents yes, in yes, them yes. and it's like very Match. cute. Um, both shirts really great. New additions. So I don't have any like real bias. Emotional to connection to them. Yes. Um, wearing emotional. Yes. But what I will have to say is that I think the winner of this week's March Madness is my Be More Chill shirt. Very unique. Yes. Very unique. You don't necessarily know what it is when you look at it, and mm-hmm. I always think that's fun with show merchandise. And I love lime green. It's one of my favorite colors. Um, and it's fun, like, to... It's fun to, like, wear, and it's, like, the costume. Yeah, like, yeah. Everyone, everyone, like, cosplays it, and it's funny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's this week's March Madness. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Caleb, if if you want, I think we should uh, head on over to our interview. With Chase Brock. Let's do it. Yes. Come on over. Let's go. <laughs> go. <laughs> We're so excited to have our special guest, um, director, choreographer, man about town, artistic, Chase Brock. Welcome. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. We um, have been able to squeeze into a dressing room here at Theater Row. <laughs> you are a busy man, Chase. 
So thank you for carving out some time to talk with us. You're so welcome. Thank you guys for being interested. I appreciate it. Yeah. You have a lot going on right now. I'm excited to like delve in and talk to you about all of that. It is a busy <laughs> season. It's a surprisingly, you never know. I mean, I'm sure you guys know. It's like you either, it's either feast or famine and it's either nothing is happening or everything's happening all at once. And this happens to be a moment when a lot of stuff is happening all at once. <laughs> there are worse problems to have, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. We like to start um, each guest with talking about how you got started with the arts, however it might have been as a kid or as a teenager. Just barf that out on us. Yeah, I mean, it's so I'm from North Carolina and near Asheville. Uh, and really, it was two sort of different things. Uh, Flat Rock Playhouse, which is the State mm-hmm. Theater of North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, was just a couple of miles from my house and my grandparents had a subscription and we I kind of just grew up knowing about that theater Uh, and I think like you took class trips there um, and stuff like that so when I was six I started taking class there in the children's theater program Um, and at the same time a cousin of mine uh, was studying dance at a local dance studio and had a dance recital and I went and uh, insisted that I be on the stage and demanded to go on stage at the end of it uh, and sort of, you know, a monster was born, and that's what happened. Very cool. <laughs> it was sort of a dual track of theater and dance right from the beginning. And did you always have more of a proclivity toward dance, or, or what was kind of your relationship between balancing that theatrical sense with yeah, dance? Yeah, it was. I mean, for a long time, it was a kind of schizophrenic, like, am I a dance person or a theater person mm-hmm. and in the theater world for a long time I felt like a really dancey theater person and in the dance world I felt like a really jazzy theatrical dance person sure. um, and I finally gave up on trying to define it and I think accepted my destiny as just a real mutt a real I like <laughs> my dance democratic I like it I like all the arts I, I like stuff that's good um, I like a big old American mega mix melting pot realness what have you I love that I feel like that's kind of how we all end up like we all have our own mishmash of like influences and things that really inspire us what were some of your like biggest inspirations when yeah. you were younger he was a teenager um Anne Ranking was my mentor sure. I was her student and she took a she kind of took me under her wing I was a really young student uh, in her summer program and so I became very very obsessed with all things Bob Fosse mm-hmm. and so that was like my 13 year old life was like very much about that um, and, you know, and I also, um, this is so interesting. My, my high school theater director, Betsy Bassan, uh, suggested I read the production notebooks, which was this, um, series of essays by a dramaturg. Um, and I, and in one of them, the essay was about this Robert Wilson production at the Alley Theater. And I got very interested in Bob Wilson's process. So I kind of chased around the world for a while so I had this like experimental theater very kind of European operatic um, bold design kind of life happening and then this very musical like musical comedy mid-century 70s bump and grind Bob Fosse Michael Bennett side Um, and you know but I loved a bunch of other stuff like the Muppets and Mm -hmm. I loved Jem and the Holograms and I loved Madonna and like really the first kind of theatrical performances I saw were probably Madonna concerts on like HBO and MTV and Madonna videos Uh, we did not go to like dance concerts or anything like that Mm -hmm. in my childhood Um, or even musicals really the first musical first professional musical I saw was the tour of Crazy for You um, in 1992, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and the first Broadway show I saw was Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk yeah. in 1996. 
yeah. So I don't know. It was again, it was like a real mashup of stuff. The first modern dance I ever saw was um, the PBS Dance in America episode, The Wreckers Ball, which was Paul Taylor. And that was interesting because I, I was imagining modern dance as being this very kind of like jokey interpretive dance thing. And suddenly there was storytelling and it was on television and there was pop music and there was lyrics and it was character driven. So I don't know. I liked a whole bunch of different stuff. That's interesting because I have zero background in modern dance, like absolutely zero. I had none growing up at my like home studio, yeah. none in college. Mm-hmm. Um if you were to, like, entice a layman yeah. into modern dance, yeah. how would you do that? <laughs> I would honestly say read Agnes DeMille's biography of Martha Graham. It's called Martha, and it is the best dance book. Agnes DeMille was an amazing writer. Not everybody knows that. And in a funny way, her choreography is underrated today because it's pre-1950s, pre-1970s, so it does not have that pelvic thrust of Bob Fosse and Michael mm-hmm. Bennett. It, it, and it feels dated to us now, but it was incredibly psychological, incredibly gestural, very ahead of its time. And Agnes DeMille was a friend of Martha Graham's. And, and ultimately, Agnes DeMille, a lot of people say that she is a better writer than she was a choreographer, and she was one of the best choreographers in yeah. the history of yeah. Broadway. Her books are amazing. She has something like 13 books, and I have all of them, including the elusive R- Russian journals, which I finally found recently. <sighs> But um, anyway, her books are amazing, and she wrote a biography of Martha Graham, and because she was friends with Martha, and because she is a choreographer and a dancer, and she's a great writer, it hits this amazing sweet spot that most dance books do not. And I feel like that book, that book is a very, very good window into the creation, the birth of modern dance in America, which in, in a funny way, obviously ballet was made sort of over several centuries, and many, many, many ballet masters, and royalty and you know all kinds of different people contributed to that um and modern dance in a way was sort of like codified in one woman's body in basically you know 20 years or something i mean it's sort of amazing yeah. and in, in your question is interesting because martha graham herself never saw any dance she never saw dance until she was like 20 hmm. she didn't even start she didn't even see it or take it and then she completely changed the face of dance and in a way she was a, mo- a modernist master in the same way that Picasso or those mm-hmm. kinds of people are so she had an amazing life if you want to read about it read Agnes DeMille's book there it you will go. pull you I'm, into modern dance I'm gonna put that I on my list for this I'm a big book reader so I, you've convinced me I'm gonna read it be one on your list for the it year will be. you I'll must be it's so good it's so good <laughs> also I love you know Twyla's uh, Push Comes to Shove is so great um, there's a lot of good. The Carolyn Brown book about Merce Cunningham, I think it's Change in Circumstance, is really excellent too. I don't know. That's I feel like modern dance has such an American background and this sure. kind of like early, I don't know about early 20th century, but like, you know, from, from the 20s through the 70s feels like a golden age of modern, modern dance. There's also this amazing, amazing collection of the best dance writing just came out. It's called Dance in America. Okay. It's edited by Mindy Aloff, who just saw our show, which was so cool, so I got to geek out about her book. (laughs) Um, And it's for the Library of America. And she spent nine years compiling the best writing on dance. Sort of like the best writing on the best dance um, of America, of a period. And it's this amazing, um, you know, two pieces by Arlene Crochet, or like three pieces by Edwin Denby, all these amazing, and then things you've never read 
Um, anyway, it's just fabulous. That's amazing. I feel like I'm getting it's my current it's pleasure like, reading. This is like Chase's book club. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I like. I want to like. Do you like history? I feel like. Do you enjoy history and reading a lot about that? Yeah, I feel like. Also, doing doing the doing arts and doing theater and all that stuff leads you everywhere, right? Like, don't you find oh, yeah. in theater, like, history is so so crucial, and all, all of it is related. Do you incorporate that into any of your choreography when you're doing, like, research? I feel like that's because, like, reading about a little bit of here and here, you mash together, like, can we mix these two styles into my own style? Do you, like, mm. see, do you notice yourself doing that? I definitely do it in theater. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's, like, the name of the game, yeah. and that research process is all about that. I think in with my company, it's it's a little less um, academic than that, and a little more instinctual. Although this current piece we're doing, "A Girl with the Alkaline Eyes," is a complete narrative, evening-length dance theater thriller. And so with this, we were looking at, we were imagining the future. We were looking at the technology of today and imagining how it might manifest tomorrow. We were looking at the politics of that now and potentially in the future. Um, there was so there was a lot of that kind of thinking this mm-hmm. time around, which is a little bit unique. Let's go back. Uh, how did you start your company? Like before we could jump too far ahead. Yeah. So I, so I was, so I made my Broadway debut when I was sixteen, and I was in Susan Stroman's revival of The Music Man for two years. So I did that thing about seven hundred and fifty times, um, and it was an amazing like breeding ground because. Music Man is, first of all, such an excellent piece of writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like one of the best books of any musical. Um, so it's a great, great show to kind of learn on. And that's it's a show that's also full of people of every age. So you really become a community or become like a town on stage. Mm-hmm. And so I had all these, um, you know, mentors who were just older Broadway actors. And, you know, it was just like an amazing um, sort of education for two years. But at the same time... I was like, I always made up dances and I always put on shows and I really probably <laughs> want to be doing that. Um, and, and, and honestly, I love the rehearsal process and the creative process. And, and as soon as we were in the kind of daily doing of the show, I was less engaged in it. And I kind of thought, I think I'm a maker and not a, someone who wants to stand at center stage and be the center of attention in that way. And there are other people who are dying to do that. And I felt like I was taking their slot and I kind of wanted the slot that... I would see choreographers who seemed like a little bit tired mm-hmm. and think like, can they please let go so I can, yeah. Yeah. you know, so I wanted everybody to rearrange and move around until everybody was really where they fit. <laughs> um, and so then I, so when I was 18, uh, so basically the entire time I was doing Music Man, I would go into the studio on a Monday and I would make up a dance, usually with my fellow cast members and sometimes other friends I met in other shows. And then uh, I was amassing this little tiny like body of work. And when we got our closing notice, um, I decided to rent a space at uh, 890 Broadway because it had been Michael Bennett's building, mm-hmm. and Dreamgirls was made there, and it mm-hmm. felt like good ghosts. Yeah. And so I produced a showcase there of my work, and when I was 18, I got my first agent for choreography. Um, and I stopped, and I retired at that moment from performing. Um, and so I spent a couple of years, I spent like about five years sort of gigging around, and it was like a wonderful, it's what you should do. It was like mm-hmm. the perfect... I did benefits and concerts and industrials, like all that. Industrials actually did exist then, and I did them. <laughs> uh, GlaxoSmithKline. It was very funny, and uh, but it's all it's all good training. But I felt sort of at the end of that five years, I was like, I'm really longing to do something where I have more agency in it, and I I am like expressing my voice a little bit more. And so, I took basically the money from a cruise ship 
directing and choreography job that was like one of the more soulless things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took that money and also my grandfather passed away and left a little bit of money and I, I sort of pooled all of that and I said, I'm putting on a concert and I'm going to do a concert. And I wasn't really calling it a company, but I was calling it a concert because mm-hmm. um, it felt very big to be like, I'm debuting my new company. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But of course that was what I was doing. And we did three nights at the at Dance New Amsterdam, which is now Gibney. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it went really well and it was it was encouraging audiences were encouraging and sales were encouraging enough and people sort of said what when's the next one and then I thought I guess I'm doing this now mm-hmm. so I was 23 and um, that's how it started and very very fast it kind of snowballed because when you have a company especially like a small nonprofit arts company in New York in the 21st century it is all about the calendar and the fundraising mm-hmm. and yes. planning and, you know, just all the many, 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 many hats you have to wear. So it's, it's quite a full-time job, especially in those early years. And where do you find your your inspiration? I mean, now you're still you're still putting on shows. We saw Girl with Alkaline Eyes last night. We loved it. Ooh, so, yeah. yay. And where do you find the your inspiration comes from with these kind of narratives? Are they always a narrative piece or... Um, tell us about what your process is in, in like curating that work. So for, I would say, at the very beginning of the company, I, I had been working more in theater, and so the part of my brain that was the like less literal, less situation-based part of my brain was wanting to sort of doodle about an, an idea or an impression or a piece of music or a spatial thing or a sculptural thing. And so the the initial impulse of the company was actually not toward narrative work, um, but I think that it was always character driven. The dancers have always been people. There's no, I don't think we have any piece, with the exception of a piece called Swamp Romp. I think uh, <laughs> there are always people, um, and I really love community on stage. That's like the thing I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I think people in a situation dealing with stuff together is kind of like what all of the dances have been about. And I would say some of them, you know, there are, this is the 31st. um, And a number of those are like hour long, you know, it's a large body of work actually Mm -hmm. in 11 years uh, and seven commission scores. A number of those were vaguely narrative. There's two that are, that are the farthest. And actually there are two that I'm going to be reviving in the next four years. Um, but at the end of the first decade, I said, okay, I have 30 dances, six scores, and I've kind of gotten my fill of, um, playtime when I'm not in theater working on a story. Now I'm actually curious to know if I really took all of that part of my brain and applied it to this, what would happen? At the same time, I was looking around thinking like, where is our story ballet tradition in America? Like, where is our narrative dance I mean, it's a very interesting hole in a way. Um, one of my mentors and friends, and he's on our advisory board, the great Matt Bourne, Matthew Bourne, you know, is um, doing narrative work that's funny and story-based and character-driven, and it's dance, and it's a little bit ballet, and it's a little bit musical theater, and it's a little bit jazz, and a little bit modern dance um, in the UK, but nobody's really doing that here. Um, and there's, of course, downtown work and experimental work that dips into story, which is, some of which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and uptown there's story ballet being done in like the most archaic European 19th century pastoral way that to me has nothing to do with what's actually going on right now for Mm -hmm. our generation and our time. And, 
I think it's interesting that we are aesthetically able to get on board with that because of the virtuoso performances of the dancers, but look the other way through the storytelling, the acting, the directing, the design choices. And so I just, all of that was kind of in my brain, and I thought, like, we're going to really do this. Um, And because I'm going into the, we are now in the second decade of this company, I just... It wasn't any more about, like, what's the next piece. It was kind of like, let's think about the next five years. And I said, let's do five narrative evening-length works with titles that are, like, mini Broadway shows, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was the first... This is the first one of those. And the second and fourth will be um, revivals of the two pieces I was mentioning to you, The Four Seasons and American Sadness. And then uh, the third and... The first, third, and fifth are new pieces with new commission scores and scenarios and all of that. Uh, And so it's an exciting time, I think, for our company to be trying to like get in and sort of scratch around in this area that I think is underserved. Um, And it's a gap in our theater in a way. Yeah. When you revisit those pieces, how much do you think will adapt and change to the times and how emotionally you're feeling versus how you felt when you originally met the piece? So The Four Seasons has had one revival. It was made in uh, 2008, and it was revived in 2009, so they were pretty close together. Um, And we revised... That actually has text by David Zelnick, and we um, revised it slightly the second time, so it's had one round of revision. Uh, And I made a little bit of new choreography for it. The design stayed the same. Um, But I do think... I mean, that piece is about climate change, so I thought it was really relevant then, and it only feels more relevant, sadly, Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that piece is more timely, and I actually think more people are probably ready to hear about that and think about that and talk about that. So I think this time I'm hoping that the piece, I'm hoping that we pair doing the piece with some sort of mission. Um, I I would love to sort of try and do something, to try to contribute something. Um, And I don't know what that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a proceeds. Yeah, or, or... I don't have like a, I don't we don't have the exact idea yet, but that there would be something in the rehearsing of it or the making of it or the seeing of it or the doing of it that is contributing in some positive way that's making like a tiny chip in the enormous question and problem. Mm-hmm. Um, all the materials are recycled. All of that. Like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 like yeah, if, if we were doing it today, yeah. we would probably make it that way. And yeah. so it'll be interesting to see. And I think even you know, I had been thinking of it as a straight revival. They were never standalone pieces, and so now they will be standalone pieces. They were always paired with other rep. Sure. But um, I was thinking of kind of a straightforward revival, uh, and actually David Zelnick recently asked me if we I wanted to revisit, and I was like, mm, I don't know, I don't think so. But actually, even in just the first five performances of The Girl with the Alkaline Eyes, in sort of sitting back myself and experiencing it and sort of seeing how our company feels doing it and noticing how audiences are responding to it, I am already thinking, I already have like a lot of new ideas about Four Seasons, basically, uh, that take it a little bit farther in the direction of a theater piece, I think. Um, and this this character, this weather reporter, Roz G, who uh, sort of punctuates the concertos, concerti, uh, she, I think, may, may become a larger presence in the evening um, and may frame the evening in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. With American Sadness, I think um, that piece has an amazing set by Dane Laffrey, and uh, they've taken to calling it the nine hole, but it looks kind of like a connect four thing, mm-hmm. and, it, and it is operated by two flymen, and it kind of comes in, and can the dancers can be on it, under it, through it, inside it, underneath it. It, it does a lot of really interesting sculptural things. 
there's a problem of like where to do it because it requires a fly yeah. system and a lot of the small houses that we love to perform in, including our home at Theater Row, don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we have to sort of figure out. Um, and with that piece, it's only ever been done once. There were four performances and it was filmed and there's a DVD of it. Um, so it's lived on in that way. Uh-huh. And in a, in a weird way, when you revive things, new dancers take on roles and things change and you know it becomes more malleable and more there's more possibilities that open up within it and i think with that piece um it the film has only solidified the fact that eight dancers have ever done it and there's two leads and those two people have done those two parts and so it kind of is looming a little bit large and i'm very interested in the recasting of it to mm-hmm. see what that does for the work it's a, it's a really beautiful piece i think um and there were some sort of loose ends and some some elements where I toyed with narrative, but we that piece has actually departures from the narrative. So we we touch on this story a couple times, but then it dips out of it and into very very abstract s- compositional things and mood things. And I I don't know how I'm going to feel about that going back to it. I could totally see a world where some of that becomes a little more anchored in the basic narrative. I will report back to you in three years when we do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll all come see Please, you. Please, <laughs> you're invited. Yes. <laughs> um, I think back, I love the narrative. That's what, like, when we were watching the show last night, that's what I just love most about watching The Girl with Outline Eyes was the narrative all the way through. And we met um, doing your educational program. Yes. And I remember you talking about some of the aspects of your choreography and... Um, one of them was retrograde. And when I saw it on stage, I was like, oh, that's it. So cool. Um, but how did you get your idea about the educational program that you've kind of been starting? Yeah. So over the course of the company's history, which is, you know, now it's 11 years, we've always had educational components. And part of that was our impulse to, you know, you look at the history of dance companies and arts organizations. Basically, you make things, you perform and share them with audiences, you teach and share your knowledge you build community around that so that was sort of a no-brainer but we didn't have I mean in the beginning we just we had I mean it's still a shoestring but it was like a real real shoestring in the beginning Mm -hmm. and so we didn't have the capacity to really be developing an education program and so we did a lot of one-off education events that were really tailored to wherever we were performing Mm -hmm. and I really mean everything from um we operated a kind of like uh daytime summer boarding not boarding uh summer daytime program uh, for really young children uh, on the island of North Haven, Maine for two summers when we were touring there. Uh, and that was fascinating because all those people really grew up on that island and or were summering there. Very, very fascinating, beautiful community. And then we operated like an after-school dance program at Green Hill School, which is a pro- progressive elementary school in Brooklyn. Um, we did like free classes uh, when we would perform in festivals. Uh, I remember the Downtown Dance Festival we led like a giant group of people in um, Battery Park or somewhere in one of our dances. So we did a lot of stuff like that. Uh, and it was generally headed up by Ashley Eichbauer Newman, who is now the Director of Education and Engagement for the company. She was a founding dancer in the company, and she went back to school to Bank Street College to get her uh, degree in education. And I sort of always hoped she would come back and share, and um, that is what's happened. And so uh, she and I have been talking for... I don't know, we've been talking for about a year leading up to the 10th anniversary about really what education means for our company and and what we could do that would be different than other companies and what our area of alignment is. 
Uh, and we started to find those touch points and we've done five education events now that um, and one is happening right now as we sit in this dressing room I'm taking a break from our winter intensive uh, dissecting the dance which is a four-day deep dive into this new work the girl with the alkaline eyes from a lot of different lenses Um, but what's already happened is we've built this amazing community that you're part of and um, and you know we are not in the business of doing like giant master classes where people come in and pay a little bit of money and are there for an hour and you never see them again. We're really trying to like return again and again to the same people and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually I really see that circle closing so that our education program and our company dancers and our community, all of that is one circle. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's already starting to happen in some exciting ways. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of switch gears into theater mode Mm. for a little bit. Um, I'm so curious to ask about your experience with Spider-Man because you were brought on, and correct me if my, if I'm wrong, but you were brought on for maybe the second, second opening of it, the second version 2.0. Exactly right. You were correct. um, I guess what I'm most curious about is what it was like to be brought on kind of with something so in the public eye Mm -hmm. that there's... You know, there's already a lot of eyes on us as artists, especially commercially with a big Broadway show. But with something like Spider-Man that was so um, newsworthy, what was that experience like for you? You know, so I so I replaced the original choreographer in like the third or fourth month of previews, which like even the idea of like that many months of previews <laughs> yes, is already yes. silly. Um, and, you know, there was like this incredible irony that... I bought a full price ticket and attended the first preview of 1.0 just because I was a Julie Taymor fan. Oh yeah, and I, I saw the first version too. Yeah. yeah, and so I was I was at the first preview, and in fact, weirdly, I was waiting outside the theater, and I guess a New York Times photographer took a photo, and there's a photo in the New York Times of the first preview, and I'm in that photo like as a ticket buying patron. Oh my god, hilarious! And then on opening night of the show, I was on stage bowing next to Julie Taymor and come choreographer. Crazy. So that, in a nutshell, like tries to just like tell you how (laughs) wild the whole experience was. But I, you know, I think when you think of being a, you know, quote show doctor or something Mm -hmm. like that, you think of people like Jerome Robbins and people who Mm -hmm. have many, many like credits to their, you know, name and and years of Broadway experience as a choreographer or as a director. Um, This was such an unusual thing because it was my Broadway debut as a choreographer and I was 27 years old. And so it was a very kind of unexpected... (laughs) I did not imagine... I had imagined making a Broadway debut as a choreographer. I did not imagine it would be... Like, that was the absolute last situation I imagined. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a lot of ways, it was really wonderful. I mean, I think... I think actually a lot of more experienced people probably didn't want anywhere near that show because of the all of the kind of controversy and buzz sure. and the bad the bad buzz and and I think of course like you know the element I mean there were there were safety I mean, there were things that were happening at the show that were you know there were injuries and I don't know I think I think people who had 20 years as director choreographer experience weren't coming to that show but on the other hand for someone really looking for a break it it was sort of uh, the right moment cuz I was able to really get in there and work my, my ass off yeah. uh, with everybody else and um, do all we could to take care of the company and to 
basically frame, I mean, in a way it was a, a semi-thankless job because the best thing I think that we could do in my mission was like, you know, Julie Tamor, whose work I loved so much, um, was not getting through to enough people. There were too many barriers up and there were too many things that went off track. And so it was kind of like, can we weed out some of the tangents and can we kind of focus back on the story of Peter Parker and his mm-hmm. amazing adventure mm-hmm. and make that the central thread and really platform all this amazing design and, and you know, and some great choreography that Danny Ezrillo had done that I really admired. Um, but like to try to, to try to, you know, make it work for an audience, a worldwide global audience who thinks, you know, they're buying a ticket to the Spider-Man Broadway musical. Um, and so I learned a lot on that show. I mean, you know, you learn so much working on anything, but especially like a big, huge show like that and someone that's in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, so like it was in a lot of ways, it was like the best of times and the worst of times. Sure. Um, the worst being of course, when there were injuries and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and the best of times was like I was sitting backstage with Bono, like hanging, <laughs> hanging out. And, right. I don't know. So bizarre. Did you ever get to get in the fly system and like jump from the? I was the too. Balcony, I maybe? was too. Unfortunately, I and my associate were both too small. We. Oh no. So they oh. they they actually um, by the time we came, all of that had been programmed. It was programmed, especially those the kind of like round over the so, house. Yeah. yeah. Those were programmed for, you know, guys who were like 5'10", basically between 5'10 and 6 feet, and we were both like 5'6 and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just we're too small. They wouldn't let us go because you you actually could, like, smash into a wall because oh. uh, there wasn't enough weight. You didn't have enough weight to counteract, you know, all of that. So I always wanted to, and I never did get to. Oh. <laughs> but I pointed up in the air and said, can you change your, your left hand and bend your elbow? <laughs> I did a lot of that from the ground. Oh, my gosh. So interesting. Yeah, I remember seeing. I saw the. I saw previews of of one point oh. I never got to see it. Mm -hmm. We were in spring. I spring break in two thousand ten. Two thousand eleven. 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 Yeah. yeah. It was. I mean, look. It was bold and audacious, and there were some. I mean, George Seepin is like one of the wild designers of of history. I mean, he he's an amazing theater designer, and it was so cool being in his world and. You know, just just playing around in Julie Tamor's masks, and mm-hmm. the costume designer was Eiko Ishioka, who was an amazing visionary costume designer. I mean, it was a really cool world to be playing around in. I and I think it, you know, it was hard in some ways because it it actually really did jumpstart my like off Broadway theater career mm-hmm. and my musical career. I mean, I really from that moment, I have been so blessed to have a, a pretty, you know, connect the dots kind of one thing has led to another in theater, but I think it, it took a while to kind of come back to Broadway as a, as a choreographer. Um, and I had this amazing moment where I choreographed Sam Gold's revival of Picnic and it played next door at the, um, American Airlines mm-hmm. theater. And so it was like so fun for one moment to have twin Broadway shows. Uh, but that, that opened and closed very quickly while Spider-Man was running. And then, um, Spider-Man closed the first week of 2014. And this is my first time back to Broadway, which will be so exciting in February of 2019. So. Yeah, with yeah. Be More Chill. That <gasps> mega chill. hit sensation. Yeah. Ah! Now, this is kind of like, you know, you talked about how kind of uh, Spider-Man you, was maybe the last way you would have expected to make your debut as a choreographer. And I would imagine Be More Chill is maybe a similar kind of thing because it's been kind of this slow burn into like an explosion. Um, talk about that kind of experience from its beginning at Two River to 
Off Broadway. Broadway to, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you're so right. I love that, like, slow burn uh-huh. into an explosion. It That's so true. Um, I mean, when when I... So my friend Annika Chapin, who was the literary manager of Two River Theater at the time, wrote me an email and was like, hey, this... I just... This is you. It was like, I know this is you. We've known each other for a long time. I've wanted to do something with you. This project is you. It's high school students. It's It's finding a vocabulary that's all about joy and... You know, she was like, this is, like, quirky and colorful and just, like, it's you. And it felt very exciting to be seen in that way and to kind mm-hmm. of be like, oh, wow, someone, some, an intelligent person's actually thinking about the appropriateness of what my worldview is or what my mm-hmm. work is like and how it might aid in the storytelling of this project. And, you know, then she said it was by Joe Iconis, and Joe is so, so gifted and so smart and just wonderful and ready for his chance and... I was super excited when I heard the songs. They were hilarious, and I loved them, and they were quirky outsider songs, which is everything I love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at that moment, so I knew I had to do it, but none of us, I think, had any possible inkling that that would end up on Broadway. If anything, we did, I did sort of say, like, you know, this feels like a little shop kind of cult. Mm-hmm. Like, couldn't this, but, but we were like, couldn't this find, like, a small house somewhere to run off Broadway for a couple years or a couple months even? Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt a little bit uh, unfair that it, it didn't find it, it, its audience like mm-hmm. that or didn't find its, I guess, producers the first go around because um, it did seem like it deserved more of a chance. But I think this whole sort of situation, it was not anything any one of us imagined. And in a way, this is this is the way I did dream of making my Broadway debut. Is a piece where I choreographed it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was part of the development of you know those the structure of those numbers. My husband, Rob Berman, I brought him on as the dance music arranger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... And I love working with Joe Iconis. I mean, the whole thing is... It's it's so cool. And we made something quirky that we liked and we cared about. And we didn't have any sort of producer uh, guidance beyond the artistic staff of Two River Theater. There was not, like, a money person sort of sure. leaning heavily uh, yeah. in any direction. And yep. we, we just, like, made a quirky, weird thing that we liked. And I think largely because of that it felt really authentic. It, it is authentic. Totally, yeah. And so it spoke, it found, connected with people. It's found its audience and that's like what you dream of. And so to be able to really have a piece like that, find the people who need to hear it and then they speak back to us and we're in this just amazing kind of like circle of dialogue with this this incredible fan family. It's, it's, it's amazing and I'm glad that I'm old enough. I'm 35 now. And I'm glad that I'm old enough to know how rare that is. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as The Girl with the Alkaline Eyes has closed, I plan to really, we have a one week of overlap. Uh-huh. I plan to settle in and really try and just be very present for this Broadway season. I want to just really be there and enjoy. Enjoy, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I can't I, wait to see it. I know. Like, we're very excited to see it again. We were lucky to see it. I won the lottery. You did. I was so lucky. Yeah. I Do you never know that those were like, uh, there were times that it was like two seats and four <laughs> seats. It was not like yeah, three and we, seats. Yeah. Like we won and we sat like on opposite ends of <laughs> like the front row. So <laughs> even like you as an heir, you did not get it. Yeah. 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 That's wild. I'm so happy you saw it. I forgot. I might. You might have told yeah. me that. Mm-hmm. I, well, and friend of the podcast, George Salazar. Oh, love George. Love. There's no one better. George Salazar and I also did this um, Jonathan Groff, Bobby Darren show. Yes, with Alex. With Timbers. Alex Timbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm hoping we might have like some more news about that sometime oh, soon. Okay. So, oh my god, hot take. Spice, spice, spice. Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Playbill's gonna be calling. Oh my! <laughs> exclusive. Listen, I hope it would be very fun to revisit that. I think their performances were amazing, and it, that again, you you never know what like week long quick concert will actually really take land. Off, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. I love George. I know we do too. Yeah. What a mess. Yeah. They're coming, <laughs> yeah. The entire cast of Be More Chill is coming to see The Girl with the Alkaline Eyes. Oh, oh my god, so exciting. Yes, yeah. my families are going to meet each other. It's gonna be oh, awesome. that's really, really exciting. Be be what, are you, what are you most excited about for the, the Broadway Be More Chill experience? I know you said you're going to just be very present. But what, what are some things you're, like, really looking forward to? I'm really excited for us to continue making the most woke version of that story for right now. And I, and I really want, I know that we are all, in every department, challenging ourselves to really be mindful of our community and our fan family and, and make sure that we're speaking to them in every area. And, and of course, the characters um, speaking to them in a way that we want to be speaking to them and in a way that's empowering and that's, that's inclusive and all, um, and all of that. And so I think that's, that's the thing I'm, I'm most excited about. I think this, this musical kind of belongs to um, people all over the world now in a mm-hmm. way. Um, uh, and so I think it can contain a lot of different viewpoints and it has already absorbed new things that, the fans made canon and you know I don't know there's sure and so yeah. I'm excited to continue exploring that in our latest and hopefully greatest iteration no I love that it seems like something that is like owned by everyone involved which is kind of really really cool um, and I think definitely why people have connected with it so much because they they feel seen and heard there's so much representation yeah. I feel too when seen and listening to it yeah that's what I loved about it I know the best part about seeing it front row was sitting next to all the all the girls that oh. were very excited. To did you see anybody in costume or were there? Did I, they dress there was some. There were a lot of creep, creep shirts. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think like the girls behind me had learned the choreography because they were also doing it as well. It's so. amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's no you know at the first preview there was someone near me and they were doing the choreography exactly exactly correctly, which was like. You know, and it was a part that had been in the Two River production, and there was like bootlegs online. But it was just amazing to think. I mean, I've never seen that before. That hasn't been part of my. How does that feel like when you see someone else do? They have no connection, but they're doing your choreography. Is that kind of like whoa? Like that's so amazing. Yeah, it's what like could be better than like, that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels like we made something, and yeah. like I gave them language, and now they're speaking in it. That what could be more poetic? It's so, so beautiful. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, we are going to um, play some. Just a short game. Play game. Silly. Nice quick. Um, <laughs> them, yes. Okay, so just quick. Okay. First thing pops ahead if we feel like we want rapid to discuss fire. a little bit more. We'll Ooh. slow down the rapid fire. I like a rapid fire. Okay. Favorite sci-fi film? Uh, I Ex Machina? The Count? I don't know. What is that? No, it's such a good... Uh, it was like part, a big part of our research for this piece, actually. You should see the movie. Okay. It's, it's claustrophobic and sort of terrifying and a little bit like a play. It's very sparse. Okay. Uh, 2019 resolutions. Do you do those? Do you know what I really want is to um, take a little bit of time off. I, I really want to try to find like a little bit more balance. <laughs> I, I would love to travel some more this year for pleasure and uh, like that. Cool. Number one place you want to go. 
Bali just came into my head. Oh. I don't know if that's actually true, but maybe (laughs) I have to do it now. Would you rather be a violin, a saxophone, or drum? A drum, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, You're very, like, iconic for your glasses, I feel like. And so what is your favorite pair of glasses that you own, or wanting to own, or next idea, design for them? My favorite maker is Teo, and if I had unlimited money, I would just get, like, a hundred of... uh, (laughs) They have so many beautiful, amazing designs. Mm And I have about 40 total frames, but I would get like a hundred more and just, I would never wear them. Like I would wear them one time each and that would be How do you wasteful, but fun. Store them. Like, are they like, they're on the display <laughs> in your apartment or like, yes, they're on the windowsill, although the, and they're color coded, but the windowsill is full. So I, I'm working on that. I got to figure out a new system. P.S. Um, sidebar, Michelle Visage oh. is now doing like a 365 days of eyewear <gasps> yes. right now so she's posting different her different frames oh, every day for a year how delightful so on Instagram if you're interested in I am interested you know her. she came and hung out with us for a day of rehearsal at Be More yes, Show yes she oh. talks about it on the podcast mm. all the time I was texting George when I heard it I was like I hate you she was <laughs> stupid she was super cool it was like really fun I love she was lovely that's amazing she was super cool um, so we're in like cold season how do you keep healthy like three tips I'm so not healthy right now. <laughs> I like, really feel like I'm not healthy right now. I mean, I think eating well, you are what you eat. So I'm vegan. I've been vegan for almost 20 years. But like whole foods and not that much sugar is like, that's good. Um, drinking a lot of water. That's so obvious, but it's really true. I've been drinking a ton of coffee. That's mm-hmm. not so good. It's not water. <laughs> I, um, I forget that. I know. <laughs> water in here. Coffee is good in limited amounts. My doctor said I should have three cups and no more. And I am... Don't tell. I'm having way too much right now. Uh, and what other way? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I love yoga. When I, I love when I'm in a regular yoga practice, um, and often it actually happens out of town on jobs because, oh, yeah. in a funny way, that's when my life it's a is working like working vacation. Most, yeah. yeah, it's when my life is the most structured. I'm kind of stuck somewhere, and I can't I can't stack multiple projects on top of each other. Uh-huh. But in New York, everybody's always like, can you just do like one more little, you know, like you've got a few hours and of can course I always want to do it. Can you just do one more little podcast I'm happy. I want it all. I want yeah. a big, huge life, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Totally. Um, Net- do you watch Netflix? Yeah. Okay. What must be watched right this weekend? Um, I really want to get back to, um, oh my gosh, it's called, uh, oh, what is this thing called? Um, oh, we s- we might be able to help. We started it. It's like a. It's like a. It's a crime. No, it's like a futury. Um, oh, it came Lost out in space. This fall. It came out this fall. It's a cool series called. It's got like a one-word title. There was a guy who's. Uh, there's a funny quote that we always quote. I'm not gonna say it. Uh, what is it? What is it? Oh, I can't think of the name of it. It's um. Oh, I I can't think of the name of this, but it's it's a really cool futuristicy <laughs> like strange. They're in a lab. They're set in a lab. There's a testing thing going on. They're in. They're in a. They're in a like study of some sort. A sleep study. It might be. Is it, it's a dream sleep state. It's not the one with Emma Stone, is it? Yes. Oh, what was that called? It's so cool. I don't know. With Emma I, Stone and Jonah Hill. It's got yeah. one word called like ironic or, I- or like ironic manif- or limitless or, like, or crazy <laughs> or like yeah. yeah it's Maniac. Like, Maniac. Maniac. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that was horrifying. <laughs> I want to see that. We got there together. I also want like. I'm not caught up on things like Stranger Things, which I really liked, and mm-hmm. I like them off of that. And then, what is the, what is the Archie? What is that new? There's some new Archie. Something oh, I don't high. Know. Something. Uh, whatever. I can't, clearly, 
<laughs> I have to get back to Netflix. <laughs> when you're on a vacation later this year. <laughs> okay. If you were bit by a genetically modified animal, what would that be, and what superpower do you get from them? All the only animal I can think of at all is dogs because we adopted a new dog uh. named Hudson, who's like an eleven-pound Chihuahua, <laughs> we think Skipper Key mix. Uh, so Hudson, like a bionic E Hudson, would would um, bite me and. Uh, all he wants to do is play with his Kong all day, night, and day. So I guess I would just like just eat Kongs all the time. Just like always have a Kong toy. What is He's a Kong obsessed. toy? It's like rubber, this little rubber um, funnel that you like stuff treats into. Oh, okay, so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, we get it like in the morning. The first thing is like gunk, and it's like dra- <laughs> he's like dropped it on the floor at our feet. Like hilarious. And that's the last thing we hear at night. Is it like hitting our chest as he's like sleeping on us, dropping it to say refill this? Oh, yeah. And the first thing in the morning is like. I hear that like I start to stir and then off the bed like falls the oh so he's funny. an addict hmm. totally addicted <laughs> uh, best restaurant in New York um uh, I'm vegan so I love modern love I like screamers pizza I like avant garden I love double zero pizza oh it sounds like a lot of pizza yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, a classic show you want to re-envision I would really love to direct the music man on Broadway mm-hmm um, most important phrase to know in German. Uh, minuten Pause, 20 minute pause. <laughs> 20 minute break. It's been rehearsal. <laughs> you need a minute to think. <laughs> <laughs> and last question. This is a, I can't believe this is my job moment that you've had throughout your career. Um, do you know the one that came, I'm just going to say it. The one that came to my mind unedited was, uh, was when I, I choreographed the world premiere of Waitress. And I think like the moment of being like, Sarah Burles and I are hanging out in Cambridge, like writing dance music and like, that was wild. That was like, I'm doing that. Yeah. And I and that job has an unhappy ending because I quit, but uh, but I love Sarah Burles and, and <laughs> until until it didn't work anymore, um, that was that was a cool. The idea of that job was super cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. They're not all hit, it doesn't all work. It doesn't always yeah. work. It's not all, and it's you okay know to what? back away from it. Yeah, it's yeah. not all for you. Yeah. It's not all for you, that wasn't for me. Well, you are for us. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Uh, can you tell our audience um, more about your show? And can you tell our audience where to find more information on Absolutely. Yes, thank you. The show is The Girl with the Alkaline Eyes. My company is The Chase Brock Experience. You should go to www.chasebrockexperience.com for information and tickets. We're running at Theater Row till January 13th. And if you missed that, you can go on our website and sign up for our mailing list and find out about our next shows and our education programming. Um, and of course, you can come see Be More Chill. And I think that's bemorechillbroadway.com. Yeah. Thanks. Try and get a ticket. Good luck. <laughs> you can find the podcast at Equity One Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And send us an email at equityonepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, Caleb, where can they find you? Uh, Caleb Dickey on everything. And I'm at Elliot Maddox on everything. Until next time, cheers! Cheers! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Help me to more than survive. More If this was an apocalypse, I would not need any tips. Oh,
descend and the period is going to end I'm just trying my best to pass the test and Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.